Welcome to Status Hour. My name is Nuda Arakat. In early January, the New Orleans City Council passed a resolution imposing a human rights screen to prevent municipal investments in initiatives that make the city complicit in human rights abuses. That resolution included projects that enhance Israel's apartheid regime. Five of the seven city council members co-sponsored the resolution. Right before the vote, Jason Williams, the council's president, explained, this resolution specifically recognizes the city's social and ethical obligations to take steps to avoid contracting with or investing in certain corporations, namely those that consistently violate human rights, civil rights, or labor rights. The resolution passed unanimously, making New Orleans the first city in the South to endorse the Palestinian call for boycott, divestment, and sanctions, or BDS. Within less than a week, the council was subject to a severe local and national backlash led by the Jewish Federation of Greater New Orleans and the New Orleans chapter of the Anti-Defamation League. Within two weeks, the council reconvened and rescinded the resolution. With us to discuss the campaign that culminated in the resolution as well as the fallout that followed it are Max Geller and Tabitha Mustafa. Tabitha Mustafa is a black Palestinian American residing in New Orleans. She is the founder and core organizer of New Orleans Palestinian Solidarity Committee, which co-authored the resolution, and a program associate at the American Friends Service Committee, which signed on to it. Her work has been featured in media outlets, including Refinery29, The Real News Network, and The Advocate. Max Keller is an organizer with the New Orleans Palestinian Solidarity Committee as well. He specializes in Palestine solidarity opposition research and has studied the tax return of over 90 active Zionist groups in America. In New Orleans, Max is building radical community based at the intersection of resistance to Zionism and anti-Black racism. Much to his chagrin, Max is most famous for being the catalyst of the Renoir Sucks at Painting movement. Welcome to Status Hour, Tabitha and Max. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. Before we talk about the history of the campaign and its devolution, it would be great if you can both start us off by telling us how it felt to win those first moments after the city council unanimously passed the resolution. It was somewhat surreal, but it was also expected. Like, we, we didn't feel like we were doing anything particularly radical um, by passing a human rights resolution, but we knew that it was being read that way, and it felt great to be able to make history that will help shape the BDS movement in the U.S. from now on. So yes, it's not controversial and shouldn't be read as radical because it's a human rights resolution, but the fact that it included Palestine, which has been a site of controversy, and the fact that it would mark the first vote in the South makes it trailblazing in that way. And so was there any kind of euphoria over that, or had you just expected the resolution to be positive as well as a matter of voting? We began this process over a year ago, um, and New Orleans has a very large Palestinian population, but they're not because of intersecting uh, layers of U.S. oppression. Um, the community down here isn't really engaged in the political process at all, but the uh, resolution represented a real uh, departure and for many of uh, their first foray into the political process. We did all the, the, the right things. You know, we had a sort of uh, concentrated effort to get meetings with city council members. We had our community send emails and, and write letters 
we had phone banking, and we had sort of direct action marches and sit-ins and press conferences and, and the like. And we eventually generated enough momentum to get those meetings and to get the city council on board, uh, or at least we thought. So just moving back a little bit, the New Orleans Palestinian Solidarity Committee has a vast, you know, mantle. It's a grassroots organization. What inspired you to target city council in particular? Is there something about the city council that piqued your interest or was there a precedent or was a member? I mean, what inspires this, this, this campaign? I mean, part of it was just wanting to make sure people could um, get results that would impact their lives. So, you know, it's fine to, to work on things that people won't actually see the results of here in New Orleans, but we thought it would just have a greater impact and that we could raise more awareness locally by doing a municipal campaign. And I think part of why we chose this approach outside of uh, it being very local and us trying to make sure that it's read as a local issue, especially because of the large Palestinian community here. Um, we knew that there was a precedent for passing legislation on anti-apartheid legis- uh, anti-apartheid legislation. So in the 80s, the New Orleans City Council passed uh, a very similar resolution that uh, advocated for not doing business with South Africa. Um, I mean, as you read, the city council president uh, in his own speech uh, mentioned the South African apartheid um, and seemed to be making some sort of connection between uh, what happened in South Africa, what the New Orleans City Council did, and what is happening in Palestine and what this council initially did. So it sounded like there was investment together with the own council's history and your grassroots organizing, the marching, the phone banking, the direct lobbying. It sounds like the city council members knew exactly what they were doing and were on board, except that what they had told media afterwards is that they didn't realize this had to do with Palestine or with Israel and didn't want New Orleans to get involved with that. Can you tell us a little bit about how much the city council did know and understood exactly what they were doing? Sure. And I think that this is one of the main takeaways, right, that we can uh, expect uh, if we're doing this work anywhere uh, to see. Any time that one form that Zionist backlash can take, I think, is a complete disavowal and that's what we're, uh, we experience here. Even though the same city council members spoke on the dais two weeks before rescinding it, when they passed it, about how this reminded him of the movement he participated in to bring down apartheid in South Africa. And even though they took meetings with us and they worked with us, I just think that um, they weren't expecting the uh, sort of donor class of the Jewish Federation in town to react so strongly. And when they did, they panicked. So I think organizers need to sort of be able to expect this, that it's one thing to be able to get the meetings and do the work, but it's another to make the situation on the ground such that uh, you can withstand backlash from Zionists who 
remain outside of the political fray until something like this passes. But didn't you tell these members, these city council members, look, this is very controversial. Senate is about, you know, mulling over a bill that criminalizes BDS, imposes a quarter of a million civil penalty. This, you know, this isn't going to make you more popular. Didn't you have those conversations with them? I don't think we had the conversations in that way um, because we are approaching things from a different frame. Um, We are committed to making sure that people can no longer be progressive um, except for Palestine. And so part of our rhetoric around doing that is making sure we're saying to people, Palestine is a mainstream issue. This is uh, about human rights. This isn't specific to Palestine. Although we are, you know, New Orleans Palestinian Solidarity Committee, of course we are advocating for the human rights of Palestinians. But beyond that, Um, we're advocating for everyone's human rights. And part of that means we have to start making sure that people know that Palestine is not something that they can, you know, put on the back burner anymore. And and also, I just want to say that the first BDS campaign we uh, engage in as as the PSC down here is try, we try to um, do a uh, pressure the city council just about BDS. And that was a real non-starter. We didn't get any sort of positive feedback from the council when we just sh- uh, approached them as uh, the PSC. But once we started engaging other groups for whom a uh, human rights uh, divestment screen would impact, whether it was uh, groups who are doing abolitionist work who uh, would uh, love to see uh, a, a legislative tool to divest from companies who uh, employ prison labor or who violate climate justice. Uh, the environmental groups were very keen on our uh, to work with us on this as well. So once we started broadening out the language to be useful to people who uh, were doing a broad-based uh, left uh, left-wing uh, organizing in town, uh, Palestine, though the uh, Palestinian community was uh, involved from the get-go and never stopped. It stopped being just about Palestine. It started being about human rights more broadly. And that would be, uh, the city council worked with us and uh, was sort of responsible for the trajectory of the resolution and, and that they were ended up being comfortable with passing. So they strategically engaged with you to broaden it so it wasn't pointed in order to facilitate their endorsement. They knew exactly. I mean, are you suggesting that this was their idea? I mean, we one thing I would say, uh, it's one thing to get meetings with city council members, but we didn't really see any uh, momentum generated until Tabitha and I showed up at one of the meetings uh, with draft language of a resolution in hand. And then they took it. Uh, The mayor-elect, who is uh, in her capacity as a council member, took the resolution that Tabitha and I wrote and came back with something that she felt more comfortable with. So absolutely. And it's also something that was co-sponsored by several other council members. It wasn't just one. um, It wasn't just the mayor-elect. Other council members had read the resolution prior to voting, you know, in favor of it. There, I think, may have been one or two council members 
who knew that it was coming up but didn't claimed to not know the history of the legislation or um, anything about the group. But again, we know that's not true because this is something that's been in every local media outlet for at least a year. So that brings up two things, right? So on the one hand, it's um, this shift also meant that you were shifting in very sincere ways uh, to in- enhance your collaboration with other groups like abolitionist groups, like uh, immigrant rights groups, right? So there's that work in, in the deepening of your alliances there. There's the other issue of this has been going on for a year and the Jewish Federation and the ADL said nothing for a year. So can we just discuss each of those in turn and maybe start with tell us about your base building with these other organizations and what that looked like. Yeah, I mean, New Orleans is very much very much a, a relationship-based city. Um, it's hard to really get things done if you don't have connections with people, and oftentimes those have to be really meaningful connections, um, not a lot of the fun ones that we see in politics and other places. Um, and so... I think it all started with, you know, us reaching out to the people that we already know, people who advocate for immigrant rights, people who are uh, organizers in the trans community, um, folks who are working on prison abolition, and calling up all the people we know who we presumed would uh, be on the side of justice and saying, hey, you know, what what are the issues that are most important to you and where is their overlap? And hands down, people did not want to be putting money into human rights abuses, which wasn't surprising to us. Um, so we were able to go to you know, the 400, 500-person weekly membership meeting of the Congress of Day Laborers and have someone translate for us into uh, Spanish and say, like, this is our issue too. This isn't just about Palestine. Um, being able to, you know, we got the Orleans Parish Prison Reform Coalition to do the saltwater challenge in solidarity with political prisoners. Um, and so we were, you know, building our partnerships and strengthening those. But in addition to that, we were really giving people the information that they needed to be able to be advocates for this themselves. Um, and from there, it just grew. And so what started off as, you know, maybe five organizations of people we knew was later 10, was by the time we launched the campaign, 20. And now after the campaign is like closer to 40. That's amazing. So after the campaign, you had other people want to come on because they saw what happened? Yeah, I mean, it's been really inspiring for people in other cities, um, even outside of the United States folks in, you know, Montreal or in Albuquerque, um, Poughkeepsie, like places that you wouldn't necessarily think like, oh, they're definitely going to start a BDS campaign, um, heard about it. And so if those people heard about it, certainly organizations here in Louisiana heard about it and said, we, what can we do to support you? How do we get involved? How can we do something similar? I mean, in many ways, New Orleans is a great, perfect city for something like this. Not only do we have an enormous Palestinian population for whom accountability for Israeli human rights abuses is very much a local issue, 
Uh, we have thousands and thousands of residents of the city who are here because they were, uh, they, who don't want to be here, but uh, were forced uh, to flee Israeli human rights abuses and ended up here. We also have a very strong uh, tradition of uh, organizing uh, in the city. And what we took away from this experience was finding a way to engage everyone in a way and with, with something that was both a uh, joint struggle opportunity, but also something that would be very useful for the kind of organizing they were doing ser has served us well. And, you know, we didn't, no one flipped on us. No, no one in the coalition left because of the backlash, which was really terrific to see. Certainly some of the wins, even in, in the losses, so to speak. And, and I want to ask you more about that, but I still want to, you know, ask about the campaign itself. So here you are building with these um, other groups across the city. The city council has taken a draft resolution that you've drafted yourselves. Um, it's all on the up and up. It's all in the media. Why aren't the JDF and the ADL responding during this time? Do they just think it's not serious or do they not know about it? I mean, um, I monitor what they're doing. I go to, uh, um, I sneak into their pro-Israel events when they're publicized. And for them, I mean, before this moment, I don't think they really were too aware of the Palestinian population period. I think it's, for many reasons, it's an invisible population uh, in the city, but I also just think that um, they have a sort of understanding of the way uh, politics has worked in this city for hundreds of years, which is you can buy influence. And because they're able to throw a lot of money around and astroturf their movement, um, they weren't too worried about our grassroots maneuvers because, you know, for instance, several of the city council members would show up to the black tie ADL $500 a plate gala. And that's not something we can compete with. So I don't think they really ever thought of us as uh, having, you know, present in the conversation until earlier this year. Until the resolution passed. Right. So how did that backlash, you know, it, it took a whole two weeks, which isn't a lot of time, um, for the backlash to develop, to hegemonize the process, and lead to the res uh, rescindment of the resolution. Can you walk us through that process? And also, you know, what you all, what you all are doing and, and feeling in this moment, right? Just after this, a year-long campaign and victory, elation of a victory, and then and then to watch this unfold. Yeah, I mean, it was we're pretty excited, you know, immediately after, even though we expected that human rights would win. But later that day, the city council released. Uh, their minutes and their uh, press team uh, even mentioned that BDS in the summary of the closing. So even after it was passed, for the rest of that day, we're pretty ecstatic. Um, but then Friday happened and we're like, okay, like this is great. This is exciting news. We're wondering if we're going to do more interviews and tell people the exciting news about what's happened, that this human rights resolution um, which also encompasses BDS, has passed. This is a historic moment for the South and for the country and for the movement. But that afternoon, we get a phone call. Hey, have you seen what the city council has just released? No. We're like, okay, well, technically, it may not even be published yet, but go look as soon as you get the chance. 
um, it's coming out soon. So we're like constantly checking the city council's website for their latest press release. And much to our surprise, the city council had released a statement with the mayor elect and three of the other black council members trying to somewhat stand by the resolution, but at the same time doing a little bit of backpedaling about what exactly it meant. And so we were caught off guard um, just because we hadn't had any opposition for almost two years. Um, And so from that point on, uh, we started contacting the city council, trying to figure out what was going on. And the next thing we knew, there were significant resources dedicated to saying the city council didn't know anything about the organization, that it didn't have anything to do with Palestine, and that they had every intention of rescinding the resolution. And there were some folks who immediately said that on the council, maybe one or two, but at least four people by Friday the next day seemed to be sticking with it. But by Wednesday of the next week that everyone uh, had flipped on us. No one was willing to return our phone calls, our emails, take meetings with us. Meanwhile, they were in the press saying, we just need to hear from the Jewish community because like, you know, we don't know what you want, but we'll do whatever you say. It doesn't specifically mention the Palestinians. We're not sure what to do. So it created this narrative of, okay, we're done with the Palestinians. We're done with the people who are in any way related to them. So all of our partner organizations, like some, you know, 30 organizations in the city were instantly shut out from the city hall. And they were only interested in hearing one narrative and to make sure that they could take care of their donor base. I mean, when you're talking about folks who are donating ten and $20,000 to people's campaigns, when we're not donating money to, so, to support the campaigns, but, you know, some people worked on, some of our partner organizations, some of the, our folks worked on the mayor-elect's campaign. So to have, like, their labor being thrown away in favor of, like, physical dollars, that said something to us. And that was the, the narrative that they kept pushing was, like, we were just trying to do the right thing um, and we're willing to basically throw people out of the the window if it means that we'll get campaign money. It left us on, you know, the rest of the, the following week leading up, you know, between Monday and Thursday when they rescinded the resolution, you know, trying to scramble. And we actually finally got one councilwoman who happens to be my councilwoman to meet with us. Um, and she laid out all the facts and she was like, you know what? y'all are getting a really raw deal. She was like, I didn't know all of this, but now hearing it, you're getting a raw deal. But she was like, I already know how the entire rest of the council is voting. And it, you know, it, it doesn't look good for you. And it wouldn't really behoove me to be the one dissenter because it wouldn't actually do anything. And it would uh, destroy any leverage that she had left. So she didn't abstain either. She didn't vote against or abstain. She voted with? She voted with the rest of the group, yep. You and Max both have explicitly discussed the donor base of the uh, in New Orleans uh, uh, and basically how members of the ADL and the Jewish Federation are constitutive of that a significant swath of that donor base. 
Is that based something, you know, on anecdotal experience or is this something that you've also researched or the council members have confessed to you? I mean, where does that come from in your in your analysis? Sure. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can figure stuff like this out. And I, I would encourage um, any activist um, to in the process of, of doing municipal BDS work to find out through open records laws um, and, and campaign finance laws who is giving money to your local uh, officials. In our case, we have, uh, because of Louisiana's uh, dark history with corruption, we have really good records laws here. And so we were able to see um, all the donations made uh, by individuals uh, and companies to city council members and the mayor-elect uh, campaigns. And what we found is a, uh, a lot of crossover, tens of thousands of dollars worth of crossover between people who sit on the Jewish Federation's board uh, and um, companies who sponsor events with the Federation and the ADL also gave a lot, uh, were responsible for tens of thousands of dollars worth of donations to our elected officials. So we have this sort of uh, receipts. We come with receipts. And the question of how to sort of leverage uh, this information is an open one. But it's important to know what's going on. We've also, uh, since the rescinding, come with FOIAs for every elected office in town. And so we're uh, waiting on a massive document that's going to confirm what we already know, that interest, uh, especially pro-Israel moneyed interest, uh, draw a disproportionate amount of influence over our elected officials. So you all are going for the counterattack. Definitely. And how do the other um, members of this grassroots coalition that you've built feel about that? Is this something that, you know, they've been wanting to do as well or how other vested interests have hindered their own campaigns? Yeah, I mean, just, uh, just Friday, the Congress of Day Laborers um, held an action right outside of City Hall about the uh, $40 million surveillance plan that the city is embarking upon. And they invited every single council person, and they're no longer showing up for their stuff. So at this point, I think people are wondering, you know, what's happened and why the sudden shift. And I think since we've been able to provide some information as to what is behind that, and it seems to be campaign dollars. People are very much interested in continuing to link our movements, um, or basically just to say that it is one movement of people focusing on specific issues within it, and um, using this as a tool to hopefully help them leverage the political power they want to had, or for us to continue building it collectively. So it sounds like, you know, and this was something I've heard both of you say um, in different ways in response, that there's been a lot of victory drawn even from what it looks like on its face, a loss because of the rescindment. Sure. I mean, Nora, as much as I fume at being just talked about with like the BDS fail hashtag by Zionists, one thing that they can't take away from us, one thing that the city council not rescind is the fact that for two straight weeks every day in a local newspaper or on uh, even on like the local news stations they were having Palestinian voices uh, discussing BDS they were uh, no one can take away the fact that there were 1.5 million clicks of articles 
about BDS that were published in Southern Louisiana uh, media outlets. We had uh, a real victory out of this campaign. Um, the local student movements uh, on the campuses down here have all been able to use this uh, controversy as a recruitment tool. So we're not um, feeling like that this was a uh, anything but uh, a great victory. But I do think there are lots of lessons uh, for other folks around the country who are doing this kind of work to take away. Please, please that, tell us about those lessons. Well, I mean, one I think that's very important is um, that no matter how sympathetic city council members uh, will be, and they will become more and more sympathetic the more they hear from their constituents, no one's going to do Palestine any favors in this country. So show up with your own legislation. And uh, there are plenty of national organizations that provide sample drafts of legislations or resolutions to get passed. So um, show up with exactly what you want to get passed, and, and that will go a lot further than just sort of waiting around for a elected official to do right by you. Keep pushing uh, every step of the way. I think another interesting and uh, important question when doing BDS work is when to sort of bring in the national movement. We all, we all read the sort of uh, what I like to, we all love preaching to the choir. And I mean, I, I know I visit uh, pro-Palestinian news sites every day. But at what point is it good to have an article about you in the uh, electronic intifada if we, if we all know that Zionists also read the electronic intifada and will pounce on a story if it's in their hometown? I think these are our big questions. That's really interesting. Are you suggesting that it was that the exposure was a mistake, that to celebrate this as a victory afterwards was something that you wouldn't do again? This comment about electronic intifada and who's reading it, is that what you were alluding to there? I'm not sure that... I, I think it's fair to say that uh, if we hadn't uh, been so quick to declare a victory, I'm not sure the Zionists in our, our would, have, would have taken notice. But I, I'm sure they would have the moment we tried to challenge a contract with Caterpillar on BDS grounds. So whether this happened uh, right away or six months down the road when we actually tried to use the tool, I think is an open question. But I do think that one thing to consider when doing this work is how strong is your coalition? Will they be able to influence members from Zionist backlash? And so if you have a broad-based coalition of activists who are um, on your side and advocating for this for uh, their own reason, it's harder to go back against the will of the people. And I think from a strategic standpoint, when you get, get uh, folks involved is an important question, and it's one that you might not be able to answer yourself. So I do recommend getting in touch with national organizations like the U.S. Campaign uh, for Palestinian Rights, like the uh, IMEU. I think there's a lot of groups who can help you through the process and sort of give you their perspective. And when they sort of enter the fray, uh, is a uh, strategic question and one that um, shouldn't be taken lightly. For the Palestine, for the PSC in New Orleans, 
what are your next steps? Is it focusing on this FOIA and, and moving in that direction? Or are you also planting other seeds? What's next for you all? Depending on what that says, um, will determine how we proceed. I think it, you know, there's the possibility that the city will say, we're not giving you these documents that you have a right to have, um, which would mean, you know, potentially legal action. Um, on that front, there's the possibility that we find things that are very incriminating or unethical. Um, and, you know, that would lead to a very similar course of action. And then there's a possibility that what we find is troubling, but not enough to pursue legal avenues, but I think would cause people both in New Orleans and outside of the city um, great alarm to read. And so that might take the shape of, uh, you know, some sort of media campaign and just letting people know that these are the type of unethical actions that members of the city council and our local government are taking. And so... Yeah, again, I think what we find will determine how we proceed. But I, I know that without a doubt, regardless of the information that the FOIA terms up, we're going to continue to mobilize the community. We've launched um, some new fellowship programs for young Palestinian organizers. We're making connections with even more partners locally, nationally, and internationally now. And we're going to continue to build a movement um, here in New Orleans and to make connections for people um, on an interpersonal level and a ideological level that help to, to shape not only our work in the future, but the work of everyone else in the city. That sounds like an amazing plan to me. I'm definitely going to be following you uh, from here. I wish you both and the entire community in New Orleans struggling uh, for social justice, transformation, and freedom more generally. Uh, the best of luck and my own solidarity. Thank you very much for joining us on Status Hour. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Nora. 